Glycogen is the storage form of sugar in your body. That's what it is. So if you know how much power output you're doing, how much work you're doing, you can calculate how much glycogen you're using. That's really easy to do on a bike. Mm -hmm. You strap someone to an ergometer and you calculate how much power they're outputting and you can figure out how much sugar that human needs to replenish that power output. That is really not a thing we can currently do for ultra running. And welcome back to the ultra running guys. You got Jeremy Reynolds and Jeff Winchester of the ultra running guys. And we're stoked as always for tonight, for, for our community, our family. Thank you so much for spending the time with us. And I think you're going to find value tonight. This is a special treat for you guys. One of the things, you know, of course, that we're here for is to help you take your next step in your ultra running journey. So our guest tonight is an expert in his field. Um, he's a nutrition coach trained by Precision Nutrition and the Nutrition Coaching Institute. He's also an NASM certified personal trainer. He is just a cool dude, and you're going to find out it's kind of unique. It's kind of uh, crazy what landed him here, and we'll go through that story. But bottom line is uh, this guy's a powerhouse when it comes to nutrition. So Will France, welcome to the show, man. Happy to be here, guys. <laughs> So here's the deal. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell a little bit of a personal story uh, about how we got to link up with you. Mm -hmm. And then we want to mm -hmm. hear about your personal story, but I kind of want all our audience to know. I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we opened up an email one day, right? And I got an email from this guy named Will Franz and he says, hey, I think you guys could really benefit from nutrition. And I know a lot about nutrition. Here's a bunch of information about me. And we kind of did some messaging back and forth. And you're going to tell us this in a second, but, you know, ultimately it comes down to, even though you've got an athletic background and we started asking, okay, well, it looks like this guy is not an ultra athlete. He's a nutrition coach. Is he really the right fit for our audience? Right. So we kind of went back and forth and said, we like the idea, but we want to make sure that we're gleaning the most value. And then you invited us to your Facebook page. It's the trail and ultra running nutrition page and jumped in. And you started dropping gold. A lot of gold. <laughs> so really good stuff. So we started reading through that and said, I think this guy actually knows what he's talking about. Or he reads a lot of books and he's good at copying and pasting. I think we should <laughs> test him. And we decided to <laughs> test you, right? So we reached out and said, hey, could we chat for a few minutes before a podcast? We got on and within three minutes, we said, all right, this guy's the real deal. We think he's got a ton of value to offer our audience. So you probably don't know that, that whole background, Will, but um, that's kind of you know how we got this set up. And with that, I want to hear some of your personal stories. So bottom line, like I mentioned, you're not really a, a, an ultra athlete compared, compared to the wrong word, right? We're the ultra running guys, but you're not a traditional ultra runner. Right. I mean, so, I'll, I'll end it for you, Jeremy. I'm not an ultra athlete compared to any, anybody, but yeah, absolutely. So, so the question is, how does a non-ultra athlete become passionate, which you are about ultra nutrition? Why do you care so much? Yeah, it, it's kind of a long story and I had a feeling something like this would be asked of me. So I've been thinking about it and it's just involved. But the main thing is like, I was an athlete from a pretty young age. I was always like, overweight my teens though. So it was always kind of a struggle. On my 19th birthday, I got my deviated septum fixed, which helped a lot because when you can breathe, you can actually do stuff better. So that's really sweet. And then I found like exercise I actually enjoyed. So a lot of body weight training and kettlebell stuff and all that. And I lost a bunch of weight, but I also started training like two hours a day and probably under eating quite a bit through like a one meal a day warrior diet style thing. And that went fine until it didn't. I experienced a ton of injuries, um, big cortisol crash, no sleep, all this like classic symptoms of overtraining that I obviously had no idea when I was, you know, 23, but just suffer fest. And then my dad died in my mid twenties and I got really involved in like looking into health stuff and got a personal training certification and got really deep into the nutrition stuff because I've always loved food. Food's kind of my happy place. So got really deep into like what's different food does to different people. And 
started working with athletes of various types and somehow fell like ass backwards into the ultra space. My girlfriend, she's in the other room. Her dad's an ultra runner. I ended up working at a gym that works with a lot of ultra runners. And as a result, I started helping people with long endurance work that I don't really do myself, very honestly. Um, but like help prep someone to get to Everest, help like get someone through a hundred miler, or help all that stuff. And found I kind of had a knack for it. And I see so much like overtraining and under recovery and unnecessary like struggles in the ultra world that really just don't need to be there that are related to like food and recovery that I just wanted to, wanted to help, man. It's really it. Like had enough of that in my life. I don't want anybody else to deal with it anymore. Cause it's not, I mean, ultras are hard. You're going to suffer a bit. You don't have to suffer that much. <laughs> So, yeah. I, I, I suffer a lot in mine, but it's probably because I eat crap. So um, <laughs> that's why you're here though, right? Because so many of us really don't have a good understanding of what nutrition looks like, whether or not we're successful in doing ultras or not, but we all may struggle with, with what nutrition looks like. Um, we were talking about this a little bit ourselves before, as we were prepping for for tonight. I think nutrition is, is one of the things that most people that are out there, right? That are listening, either that are running or doing any kind of athletic endeavor or it's going to be January 1st at some point, And they're all going to say, I'm going to change my diet, right? Nutrition tends to be the, the number one thing most people talk about in some way, shape or form. We all love food, like you said, because we have to have it or else we're going to die without it. But it's also one of the hardest things to get some sort of discipline in. I think it's one thing to say, I'm going to, to train for an ultra and I'm going to run X number of miles a, a, a day or a week, whatever it is. But if I'm going to change my diet, it's drastically different and it's so much more overwhelming. So how do you help people uh, begin to, to not feel so overwhelmed with the idea of uh, looking at the nutrition and beginning to change it? It's a good question. And like small steps is probably the easiest answer. And I think for the most part, when people think about changing their diet, they think they need a complete overhaul. Mm -hmm. right? Like they either go to keto or vegan or whatever. And I, I have nothing against any of those things, but they're just not really appropriate for the standard human who wants to make some changes and kind of enjoys having pizza every once in a while. And that's, that's fine. And like, as an ultra athlete, you honestly have so much more leeway than standard American because you're burning so many more calories that you can just get away with a little more. Mm -hmm. And in some ways that's rough because eating almost becomes like a second job, but in some ways it's a little better because you're not going to have quite as many of those like diabetes struggles or other things that a lot of other people are going to have. But if we are going to start out, I always start with like identification process, see what you're eating and kind of make adjustments from there. Like track your food for a week or two, kind of see where things are and smallest effective changes that we can get. I'm always about like finding your lowest hanging fruit, and whether that be increasing your protein a little bit or trying to up carbs on race day or whatever that might be for you. Like that's kind of it. Try and hit the big boulders rather than the small pebbles. So, so let me interrupt there because that's yeah. kind of where we wanted to start with, with you on this is that if you have a nutrition coach, right? Like I'm going to say I'm an, uh, an ultra athlete or an ultra endurance sure. runner, right? I'm going to be one of those people. And, and I've decided I want to work on my nutrition. It's the start of the year or the start of a new training cycle, whatever the benchmark is, I've decided this is the time to do it. How does a nutrition coach actually help me and come alongside me in that process, which is what you do. Yeah. So as I said, we're going to have to track your food a little bit. Like I need, we need to see what you're eating in order to make changes to it. Right. Like it's one of my biggest problems with popular diets is they start to make changes before they even know where you are. So we're going to try to avoid that. If you want very targeted results, much quicker, you probably want to track calories and macros because it will break stuff down. That said, it is kind of a pain. I think tracking your food is kind of a pain in general, very honestly. Agreed, I um, agree. Like I, I do it because it's effective. I personally don't like dieting. So the faster I can make the process, the better, which is kind of how I view it. So if I can make it more efficient, more effective, that's what I'm going to do. But it's, to some degree, you need to track your food and mm -hmm. be that either calories and macros, which is hyper effective, but probably not long-term strategy for most people. A couple of my clients like it, love it. And that's great. They, it makes it really easy for them to be clients. It makes it really, I don't get it. It's not, not me. And then, but we can also do photos. So like I'll have you take pictures of your food and kind of tell me what was in it and, and go from there. 
but I'm just looking for some basics. Like, are you getting enough protein? Are you eating? Do you know what a vegetable is? Like that tends to help a lot of the time. Are you fueling carbohydrate appropriately for, for your workouts, that kind of stuff. So that's a perfect entrance. So the way I envision tonight really is picking your brain. There's going to be all kinds of questions, right? How do we eat for training versus how do we eat for races? I'm interested in fat adaptation. There's a lot of stuff I want to kind of geek out a little bit, right? And I know you know the science behind it. And the, and the plan is to then take that information and how do we translate? So somebody can walk out of here going, oh, those are things that I want to incorporate. Mm -hmm. um, but let's start with a few of the basics because to your point, there's a lot of people out there that go, I don't really know what role these things play, right? Mm -hmm. So just give us a quick breakdown. Assume that we kind of don't know too much. Talk to me about the roles and really, I guess in an athletic setting, right? But, but overall how our body uses fats, proteins, and carbs, which are the macros that you just referenced. Let's start there and then we're going to build on it in terms of training. For sure. So, I mean, we can break down food down to molecules, right? But like easiest way to break it down, like simplest breakdown from whole food being the macros. And we could, we could say there's four macros, right? Like there is, there's carbohydrate, which is going to eventually break down to sugar of some nature or another. There's protein, it's gonna break down to a bunch of amino acids. There's fat, it's gonna break down to some kind of lipid. And then there's alcohol. And everybody kind of overlooks alcohol. I'm not, not anti it, it's not, it's not great, but it's definitely a macronutrient. It has its own like breakdown for whatever. Carbs are fuel. Technically you don't need them to live. I like them, they're tasty. Pizza is one of my favorite foods. I have done keto in the past. It's not my jam. And if you want to have some level of like explosive power, and we'll get into this in fat adaptation, but like even ketogenic athletes are probably eating more carbohydrates on a daily basis than a standard American. Okay. And then there is like fat is kind of a long-term fuel. It is also necessary. You need protein and fat or you will die. Fat is the basis for your cell walls. It is necessary for hormone transport. Your brain is very largely fat, specifically like DHA and EPA, some like breakdowns of omega-3 acids. A lot of us hear like why you should take fish oil. And that's kind of why, because it's really healthy for your brain. And it's what fat does. It keeps you alive in one manner or another. And it's also really good long-term fuel. We store it because it keeps you going when you're trying to find a bison somewhere down the line right? And then there's protein. Really everything in your body to some degree or another is constructed of a set of amino acids, which are like the final building blocks of protein. And if you don't eat protein, it is like trying to build a brick house without any bricks, right? That's kind of what it comes down to. So if you don't eat enough protein, you will also die. And we get a wide range for how much you need. Um, we can dive into that if you want, but you need a base amount to stay alive, then there's an optimal amount and then you can probably eat too much and result in like kidney problems. But you need some level of protein in order to repair. I wanna follow up to what, what you were actually just saying though about the differences. And, and I'm gonna ignore the whole alcohol one too because well, I don't drink, so it, it kind of solves my problems to not worry about that one either. So yeah. let's talk about the fats, proteins, and carbs. And so you said, you know, you gotta have them in different levels and you don't really need carbs or else, you know, the other two are needed for to live. But yeah. You know, we hear all the time that these, you have to have a certain percentage or a certain amount per person and everything. So how, how does the average person decide if figure out, not decide, figure out, am I getting enough protein? Am I getting enough fat? If my wife looks at me, she goes like, Jeff, you're getting plenty of fat. Like, like, am I getting enough of this quality of type of foods that I need in order to, to have good um, nutrition? So looking at it from like accounting macros and calories perspective, it's, it's pretty cut and dry and pretty easy. And that's why I tend to take that approach at least to start, right? Because mm -hmm. it makes it fairly clear. But protein, if you look at the like recommendation on the back of your whatever burger box or cereal box, that is calculated to an amount per day to keep you alive. And that is like, I think it's 0.36 grams per pound or something like that. And that is the amount you need to like not, not die. And most athletes though, need probably a double that in order to stay really healthy because you are tearing your muscles down so much that you need to like constantly repair that and supply a good amount of amino acids. So I will look at your like intake and then your body weight 
and it is like 0.8 ish grams per pound of body weight. That's what you're looking for. And it's only lean body weight. Protein doesn't, does not help you build fat. Like when I was 205 pounds, I'm currently 170. If anything, I needed less protein then because I had a lot less muscle mass. Now that I'm probably need a little more to stay at this level, but it's kind of a, a range anywhere in like point, 0.7 to a gram per pound of body weight. You're, you're in a pretty good target. Like a precision nutrition, one of the things you mentioned at the beginning who kind of coached me through this, they use a hand portions thing. So size of your palm, that protein, one or two servings of that, like every meal, assuming you eat like three or four meals a day. It's a really good target. So I'm going to interrupt. I'm not sure if you're bouncing back and forth between the recommended daily um, amount or if you're talking about, you know, the palm size one or two for the athlete. That'd be for the athlete. Your recommended daily, you could eat pretty much nothing but potatoes and almost hit that target. It is really easy to hit that target. Most plants, whatever, as long as you're not eating straight sugar or straight olive oil, you're probably going to hit your protein target to keep you alive. You're probably going to be very thin. You're not going to have a ton of muscle mass. You're not going to die. So now that we have a basic understanding of kind of the macros, right? And what, what point they play. This is where I'm super interested. And because I've done different things and I've said, Hey, I'm going to be, I'm going to fast all the time. I'm going to be fat adaptive all the time and all these different things. And I've actually seen you post about, Hey, when you're training the way you may want to tackle with nutrition versus on race day. Talk to us a little bit about that. Like how does it, how does it differ from training and the goal for that versus race day and the goal for what we're taking in? The fat adaptation thing is actually kind of an interesting thing. It has caught so much traction over the past many years. I've definitely spent my own time doing it. Like I told you, I, I did keto for a few months to kind of see what it did. I took blood levels before and after and everything. Like I, I did the thing, but when they really look at the ketogenic diet for performance, there is very minimal performance increase in athletes who have been doing their sport for a while. So if you've been running ultra or doing these endurance sports for the better part of a couple of years, your body is probably already so fat adapted that really trying to dietarily push it further isn't going to help you very much. And then we will also see some stuff like Chris Froome won the Tour de France many years ago on a ketogenic diet, pretty famously. That is much easier to do as a cyclist because glycogen, just a quick skirt, glycogen is the storage form of sugar in your body. That's what it is. So if you know how much power output you're doing, how much work you're doing, you can calculate how much glycogen you're using. That's really easy to do on a bike. Mm -hmm. You strap someone to an ergometer and you calculate how much power they're outputting and you can figure out how much sugar that human needs to replenish that power output. That is really not a thing we can currently do for ultra running. There's a couple shoes that say they can do it on flat ground and that's even questionable. When you're on a trail, you're, mm -hmm. no, you have no idea, right? So the best thing we can really do is try and keep what you'd call like metabolic flexibility, the ability to use both fat and carb really well. So if you have your like basic weekly setup, you'll have a bunch of like shorter runs and then probably a longer run on a weekend or something like that. And for a lot of your shorter runs, I would go into some of them fasted and some of them pretty well fueled with carbs that will kind of promote this level of metabolic flexibility in your body. So you stay well able to use carbs and fat. And then your long run, I would always fuel that for no other reason than you wanna test your fueling strategies for race day. And the closer you are getting to a race and the more hours you're putting in, you're almost wasting like test time to not use that long run as some kind of like fuel test. It's kind of how I do that. And then if you're following a kind of Jason Coop style of periodization mm -hmm. where you'll early on far away, you'll push like some VO2 max training and really crush hard. Those should almost always be fueled well with carbohydrate or else you're kind of wasting your time because the ability to push at a 10 out of 10 for anything is going to come somewhat down 
to your ability to use glycogen well. Mm -hmm. So depending on what training cycle you're in, carbohydrates can go in and out a little bit, but they should always be present at least at some point in your week. So I was just going to say, to paint a quick picture, is it's something that I like to use a lot to visualize. And so why would we want to use fat? Why would we want to use carbs? When I think about it as starting a fire, in my mind, carbs is yeah. the lighter fluid, Good. right? I can put it on. It's going to burn really hot, really fast, put off a lot of heat, but it's not going to last that long. We've got a limited amount of glycogen where the fat is the slow, long burning log. It's not going to give me as much heat, but it'll burn all night. And so to your point, if you're going out and trying to do VO2 max, you know, that, that big old log may not be what you need, but the ultra, you want to get to the point where you can switch, or you can at least say, Hey, I want to burn my log right now, preserve that glycogen and not run out of lighter fluid too quick as we've done in marathons. And I know exactly what that feels yeah. like. Right. And then now you're stuck with the log and it's not going to take you probably as fast as you'd like to go. So just yep. for everybody kind of thinking about uh, as we're talking about these two things, and Jeff, I know you had something. So what would you say are the benefits of this metabolic flexibility that you're training in the short runs? Why do that? Your body will kind of adapt to what you teach it to do. Mm -hmm. So we see that like performance decrease by a complete reduction in carbs. Your body does slowly get worse at burning carbohydrate. And we'll see the same with fat. If you're constantly using carbohydrate, then your body's going to get slowly worse at using fat. This is okay. going to be less relevant to someone as highly active as an ultra athlete, but I see this a lot in like general population of America. They eat carbs all day long. They don't move very much and their body gets pretty poor at using fat. And this is where a lot of standard dietary advice might not apply to the general athlete. You hear about trying to re-up fat burning and using keto to get into fat burning. That might be a relevant strategy for someone who actively has type two diabetes. Like there's a, there's a way to reverse type two diabetes mm -hmm. and getting your insulin regulation under control is part of that. And cutting your carbs might help when it comes to an ultra athlete it is likely not the case. So you probably don't need quite as much of that. So you just want to have a little bit at all times throughout your week so that you don't get worse at doing one thing or the other. Yeah, that's my understanding. You got two gas tanks. Mm -hmm. If you only ever burn out of the one, mm -hmm. then when your body says it's time to switch because you run out of glycogen, then it says, I don't know how to do that. It's a biohacker named Dave Asprey. And I have my yep. opinions about Dave Asprey, but he, he definitely has some very good information. And uh, he termed it hypoglybitchy, which has also been termed uh, hangry. But you, if you get hangry very often, then you, you might have some like glycemic regulation issues. I do. But yeah. I actually do. I'm actually type two diabetic. So I deal with that. Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah. No, a few people who do. And it's, mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's tough, man. But for sure, it, it comes down to some level of insulin stuff. I don't really help my cause though, days. <laughs> but they taste so good though. <laughs> Listen, I know I have been doing good for like six months and then I took a break and I can't get off my break. <clears throat> so one point that um, I also want to follow up with that I think you were saying is Another thing that will promote, at least my understanding, promote that adaptation, regardless of kind of how you eat, is the aerobic base building stuff we talk about a lot. When you're mm -hmm. working in that zone, it's a fat burning zone. And so when you get when you get more practice at it, regardless of whether you've got carbs in the system or not, which is why I would imagine you said, hey, for somebody who's already active and running ultras and that, if you cut out carbs that may not have as much of an impact, because you may have already developed that system some where if you're first starting or if you're constantly fueling with sugar, and I noticed that for me, not that I constantly fueled with sugar, but when I first did it, I mean, it was a definite difference when I started doing some of the math training and, and other things. So just something to consider, you know, based on where people are at in their journey, I guess. 100%. And like, if we look at like Jason Coop's book and his kind of training recommendations, I'm also taking his certification through USCO, like the endurance right. cert. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't make it completely clear in his book, but he makes it clear in the cert. Most of the recommendations in that book are for someone who's been doing it for like four or more years. So if you're really just getting started, you actually might need to spend a good chunk of time math building, which is where I am. Like I, I actually really have enjoyed the exposure to the sport and kind of want to get into it. And I just need to spend time running slow in like a level that I probably need to walk a bunch of the time. Mm -hmm. And for me, that would be probably well accompanied either by fasted or 
some kind of low, low sugar training. And so that was kind of focused on training, right? So we use our mm -hmm. training runs. We'd maybe do some of them fasted. We're trying to promote fat burning. Now let's transition. It's race day and I show up. I'm assuming I don't want to do the keto, no, you know, no carb type things. We talked about the difference in performance, right? So tell me how and why my nutrition strategy may change when I show up on race day. Sure. So for the vast majority of people, you want to have carbs on race day because at some point you are going to push above that math level and like want to have another gear to go into. Mm -hmm. And your analogy of like the, the pine log and the, the lighter fluid or the kerosene is pretty, is solid, but we should also recognize that you're always burning at least some portion of one of those. It's right. never one or the other. It's always like a spectrum. Um, and on race day, you're probably going to be pushing a little harder than you would on your long, slow run. So you just want to have access to that glycogen. So you want to fuel carbs really consistently throughout race day. If you're pushing it that like slightly elevated heart rate, you're going to burn through the glycogen you've stored in your legs fairly quickly, like within two hours at tops, unless you're just walking. So you really need to keep that replenishment going in order to get that, the energy you need. And by the time you bonk, it, it's too late. You need to like probably mm -hmm. walk for half an hour while you eat a bunch of carbs. And then you are going to be playing catch up the rest of the race. So you probably need to both drink and eat before you're hungry and thirsty during an ultra. I honestly used to avoid carbs, right? Cause I thought, Hey, mm -hmm. on race day, I want to burn fat. I'm going to be more effective that way. I think Coop even talks about it, right? I've seen him get mad when people ask, Hey, what, what kind of good fat should I should I fuel with during a race that sets him off? It's like because, a donut. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the sugar would help there. But I think one of the things that really helps me understand now is when we talk about, you know, we know that burning protein, I think you can, but it's not that effective or efficient, right? But when I look at carbs, it's a lot more effective. It's a lot faster, but like talking about it's limited. I've got my understanding is about 2000 calories of usable, right? Which is why we tend to bonk in a marathon around 20 miles ish if you do the math. But for fat, I can live for days on fat. So when I am on race day, now my refueling strategy is really about keeping my carbs topped up or trying to keep that glycogen in check because I don't need to take in the fat. I've got yes. so much stored body fat that I'm never going to go that far in that race. Does that make sense? Does that check? Yeah, 100%. Like I probably have 100,000 calories of fat on my body and I used to have a lot more. You have a lot of, lot of burning uh, fat on your body. You have very little on the, on the sugar front. So you want to keep those stores topped up on race day because you're not, you're not going to run out of fat unless you're, for some reason, running an ultra the day after you got on stage in a bodybuilding competition, which is <laughs> insane. <laughs> but that'd be like the only instance where you wouldn't have enough fat to fuel your race. So yeah, you just don't need it. So on that note, <clears throat> there's a, I think even Coop talks about this as well. What is the general rule of thumb that you're familiar with on how much calories somebody should take in to keep topped off our carbs? Got it. Yeah. So it is your general overall calories is about a gram per kilogram of body weight per kilometer that you're traveling on flat ground. And then it is going to be 10 times that for elevation. So for like every kilometer you climb, it's like you went 10 kilometers on, on flat ground, right? And that's your overall calories. That's how you would calculate that out. Talking calorie burn? Yeah, calorie Cal burn. Calorie burn, okay. Yep. And then you want to replace about 40% of that with carbohydrate, somewhere in the 30 to 40% range. So, and, yeah. And isn't there, I mean, that, that's actually a really good statement of the, the idea that you can calculate how much you are burning based off of, you know, gram per kilogram of body weight versus the kilometers that you're passing or running, whatever, but you're trying to take in 40% of, I guess, taking in 40% of your carbs um, back into kind of top it back off. There is a capacity that your body can, can absorb um, mm -hmm. in an hour. And I had heard us anywhere between 250, 350 calories, maybe <clears throat> depending on if you've got some of these other yeah. new things like Martin's has some, some formulations that help kind of absorb a little bit higher percentage themselves. Like I think they can get up to like 400, maybe 450. But so despite the fact that you may burn more than, than that, you can only take in a certain amount regardless, right? hundred percent. 
this is so far out of my realm that I have no, I have no concern for this in my own life. Like I'm just not fast enough and probably will never be fast enough. But if you are fast enough, you could, you will absolutely end up in a deficit at the end of the race. You just won't be able to replenish it quickly enough because mm-hmm. your carbs go through your stomach. You need to get them out of your stomach, which is one of the pre- reasons people have stomach problems is they sit in there. But once they get out of there, they get into your small intestine and then they need to cross your intestinal wall to get into your bloodstream. They can't go by themselves. It's like they need to get on the taxi, right? Like you're not going to go across New York City quickly. You need to get in a taxi to be transported there. And you only have so many taxis in your body. And you can get about 60 grams of glucose across your intestinal wall at a time and about 30 grams of fructose. And that's pretty much where you're topped out. There are some new fancy carbs that are made in the lab that of which I I have a couple in my closet because I have stomach issues when I run. So the easier digesting, the better for me, but they say they can do more. I haven't seen a lot of studies proving they can do more, but you're somewhere, somewhere in that range at your upper end. And the more you train, the closer you can get to that. Most people, if they're sitting around and not trying to shove carbs into their face all the time, then you have even fewer of those transports. They will slowly upgrade, but your cap is somewhere there. So that's carbs are four calories per gram. So that's where you end up with that, like 250 to 350, because six times four would be 240, et cetera, mm-hmm. 360. So that's kind of where you end up in that space. I've used that range for a while now, the 250 mm-hmm. to 350, um, just personally. And, and my sweet spot is around 300 calories is what my body can take without wanting to puke. I mean, and, and yet I still have stomach issues and there's solutions to that. Even when you get them, there's some other things you can put in place and I'll just say it real quick, just slow down. Um, that kind of helps bring your heart rate down. But, um, to me that to understand like, that's how much calories you can take in is important because if you're on race day and you're, you're over there thinking I'm feeling bad, or I, I need to get some energy and you start trying to consume all this food, you're actually setting yourself up for a stomach issue because you may be trying to consume more than you can take in. And we often forget that a lot of the drinks and hydration that we're using have calories in them as well. And people are sucking in their calories and they're eating their calories. And yes. sometimes they overeat, yes. even though it's, you know, it's, it's hard to believe they're overeating just because they're drinking their, their water, water with whatever's in it and a couple of goose. So I just think it's something that I think people have to pay attention to. Sorry. That's a really good point. And I, I'm actually a huge fan of kind of separating your calories from your hydration. I'm a fan of liquid calories. The way I set it up would like, and I've done for a couple of people and would do for myself would be a very, very concentrated liquid like bottle. So like a couple hours worth in one bottle and you're drinking like this much and that's your calories. And then your other bottle or pack or whatever you prefer is water with some salt in it. And that's how you keep it separate. Coop is a fan of whole food. And if you want to go that route, that's great. My stomach gets real pissed. That's not how it works for me. But like, I'm a fan of in some way or another kind of leaving some barrier between your calories and your hydration strategy. I think it's awesome. And we've, t- we've actually talked about that on a recent episode mm-hmm. of, of the strategy of, do you combine, do you separate um, mm-hmm. some of the benefits of each? One thing I want to touch on because you, you just you know mentioned, right? A lot of people do have stomach issues. We've also talked mm-hmm. about that, you know, sometimes the stomach issues can be by you're overheating, there's different things, but ultimately it comes down to digestion for most of the time. You mentioned, I think, glucose, sucrose, and I've seen you post a lot of information, right? I'm sure we can get into the weeds pretty quick, but talk to us real quick from a running perspective. I'm a runner. I may have a sensitive stomach. What are the different kinds of carbs that I may find in different products? And is there something that you would recommend for sensitive stomachs or easier digestion? Help us out with that. There's a like whole food to like very engineered spectrum we can kind of look at and Whole food is going to probably not be as great for people with sensitive stomachs. Most people at some point in a race are going to transfer over to wanting more whole food. But early on in a race, when you're able to push and your muscles still have some juice in them, then you're going to end up like wanting something slightly higher, quicker burning. And that's where we end up on this other side. 
And the standard for those would be any like, call it quick burning sugar. You'll hear like simple sugar, it's not quite right. Um, you're looking for something that burns very fast. And that would be like dextrose, which is in tailwind, maltodextrin, which is really common in like some hammer products and that kind of stuff. But we're looking for one of these very quick burning sugars that empties out of your stomach quickly. Because that tends to be the biggest cause for, for stomach issues. So you eat food or calories and they sit in there and then your stomach gets all pissed off because it's jostling around and it's just trying to get rid of this food and it cannot get rid of it. So it's kind of where we end up with, with issues a lot of the time. I know people who can eat pizza while running an ultra. Power to you. That is not me, but that's great. I think like you just, you, you don't tend to need my services, but I think that's fantastic. That's awesome. <laughs> I remember there's a, you were talking to Ray Berliga and he was like, well, I had a, I had a pancake and <clears> add <throat> some syrup to it. And then the next day I added some butter and that was a no-go. <laughs> that just kind of sat in my mind. It's like, well, yeah, man, one, the butter's fat. So it's going to sit in your stomach forever, which is kind of driving that point home. Anything that keeps it in your stomach is going to cause problems, which is why most of these products are going to be low in fat, low in fiber, and just trying to like get it out as fast as possible. And then that was on that, one of my like, favorite moments ever, by the way. Oh my God. I, I laughed so hard when you said it. We, we went back to that multiple times and laughed. And now that you mentioned it, it's like, you know, I'm back there oh, again. Oh, killed me. I just like listen to that. Um, I, I tend to listen to podcasts like double or triple speed, just like blow through info and like learn things. And I, that killed me. I like replayed it for singles fields. That is hilarious. But that is, I love if we, Ray. If we have these issues, he seemed great. I oh, love to meet him. He, he, he has inspired me so much. Just his message that he kept coming through, just making sure you're having fun. It, it has stuck for with sure. me in a lot of ways. It is, it's been cool. Um, I'm one of those whole food eaters. I will use like the goos and stuff like that in the beginning, but I will quickly start i mean i'm gonna say when i say quickly by mile 18 um at cool. yeti i started you know three hours in i ate my first peanut butter and jelly sandwich and so i ate six peanut butter and jelly sandwiches in the entire race and then i also had applesauce had all other kind of food in addition i supplemented with other things could my body have eaten all that food probably not did it need all that i don't think so but i was going kind of slow right and yeah. so it worked but i do think people are, are different than that like for me i, I I do crave whole foods because I start getting that sweet, like a sweet, like numb tongue almost where mm -hmm. it's like almost feels thick and I cannot, I can't take it. I get, yeah. get that. <laughs> and I think it goes back to everybody. Like we said, I mean, everybody's individual, mm -hmm. but so on that same note though, if somebody may have a sensitive stomach or we're talking about some of the faster burning sugars that may be better for digestion, but you want to go to the whole food route, like whether it's right or not, like the things that I think about, I like melons. I like bananas. Right. You know, some of those fruits yep. that are easy to go in. I feel like you get a boost of energy. Are those in line with what you're talking about from quick digestion, or are there any other recommendations? Yeah, if you're going the with? whole, if you're going the whole food route and you want to go the whole food route and you have some digestive issues, the thing you want to do is like as little fiber as possible is really what tends to mess people up. So white rice, banana, some honey, date straight sugar, like any of these things would be very good source of carbohydrate. I would say straight sure. sugar for, for your normal breakfast is probably not a good source of carbohydrate. I don't know. All right. Probably so not the best. No. One, one, other, one other thing on this whole race day food challenges, it's mile 70 or 80 or whatever, or even 40. It doesn't matter what the mile number is, but there's, a, there's going to come a point for everybody in an ultra that they, regardless if they've been not having a stomach issue, I'm not, they're not having a stomach issue. They're going to say to themselves, I just don't want to eat anything else. I'm done eating. Like, I don't want to eat anymore. I, even though I know I need to, I'm done. What do you tell that person? Eat? <laughs> I don't know, man. No, like, you can, that's, you, that's actually like, the right answer. And I wanted you to say it. <laughs> like that's, it's one of those things. There, there is a point, as you said, where... It might not be the right answer. Like there might be a small subset of people where if you have 20 miles left and you think you can tough it out and this is just going to make you throw up, maybe don't. But for the most part, eat. Eat is the answer and try and make it as simple as possible. Slow down. Slow down is also another really good one. Like I know you've been pushing hard, but like 20 minutes of a walk can do wonders. Like it really can 
help you reestablish some caloric intake and kind of build yourself out of a hole and let your stomach settle a little bit. Because I know we've been talking about food, but really one of the biggest things is a lot of people underhydrate or don't hydrate properly or end up with whatever. Because as soon as you end up even slightly dehydrated, you're beating the shit out of your legs in an ultra, right? Mm -hmm. Like we just are. And there's so much blood flow down to your legs and there's just not a lot for anywhere else. That's why you end up with brain fog. You end up with no ability to digest food because there's just no blood flow to these other places because your body thinks you're trying to kill it. It really doesn't care whether you digest food. It's trying to just get through the next however long you have to go. And if you can give yourself a minute to reestablish blood flow to your stomach, that can do a lot. And if you can stay ahead of hydration, that can do a lot. That's the main reason the bad water is so hard. You probably have to drink about three times as much liquid as you otherwise would, because mm -hmm. about two thirds of it's going to cooling your body so that you don't get hyperthermia. Right. And then the other third is like being very poorly turned into blood plasma. So it really comes down to like staying properly hydrated and sometimes sticking to the plan, even though you don't want to. I, I would just simply say I had a pacer at the last race for about 20 miles. There was one part, portion of the race I didn't want to eat anymore. And I, I, he was like, how are you feeling? I said, I just don't want to eat. He goes, well, what do you think you're supposed to do? I said, I know the answer to the question. I said, I don't want to eat. He goes, well, you're just going to have to eat anyway. And I laughed at him. I said, this is, this is exactly what, because I don't think he'd ever paced before either. I said, that's exactly what you're supposed to tell somebody in the ultra that they're going to eat anyway. And you're going to make them eat and you're not going to move forward until they eat. Uh, um, and so that's, but that's key. So um, shout out to Robbie Bradley, he, a good friend of ours. He's just freaking awesome. Yeah. He did his job. That's awesome. He did. <laughs> Let's switch gears to the next area. Yep. So we really keyed in on this from some of the stuff he posted and different things. So we, we've talked about training, race day nutrition, but something you've really harped on both, I think in the information you sent us the first time, we've seen you post about it. Talk to us about overtraining versus under recovery. And let's just talk about the concept first. And then I want to get into how does, what role does nutrition play in that? But, but talk to us about that issue. Sure. I, I want to be clear. Like I talk about it a lot. That's because it's part of my backstory, as I said earlier. Um, I'm not inventing anything here, though. Like Jason Coop's talked about this. Sean Bearden's talked about this. Like This is not new. But overtraining, strictly, would be the idea that you did more physical work than your body was possibly capable of recovering from. And that is so hard to do. Like Olympic athletes who have nothing else to do and their entire job is to train and recover, train like 50 hours a week or something. And when Coop has training camps, they train like 30 to 40 hours a week. When all of the other stresses of your daily life are removed and you're able to focus on nothing but training and recovery, you can train just an asinine amount, right? Like that's true. But overtraining syndrome is this like collection of problems that many of us have probably experienced that can either come from true overtraining, which is very rare, or under recovery, which means you did a bunch of training and then you did not take the necessary steps to recover from that training. Because all of the benefit of your training doesn't come from training, it comes from the recovery. All of your training just beats the hell out of you you need to recover from it to actually adapt to that stimulus. I think you should say it again for the people in the back. <laughs> because, because that's yeah. the point is that many of us in ultra running, um, we, we run all the time. And, yeah. and yeah. then we start getting beat down and we start feeling unmotivated or whatever <clears throat> it is. And, you know, if, if it's a coach or if it's a friend or if it's whatever it is, we're like, well, maybe you're training too much. Maybe you're overtraining. And, and you know, it's seldom do we simply say to the person, you know, what does your recovery look like? Like literally, what does it look like? And it doesn't mean that you can't have recovery runs. Like recovery runs are a very viable thing in ultra running and ultra running athletes. Like that is part of recovery. But I think the, the point that when we've talked to you about it, we've talked about it ourselves, even when we kind of reviewed some of the things you wrote and even what others have said as well, is that we rarely overtrain. We often under recover. And I think that's, that's a key point that I really hope listeners get. And I think we want to spend more time obviously talking about recovery and what that looks like. And yeah. I want to be clear. I'm the biggest hypocrite in this topic in the world. Like I am 
awful at this. I, I run a business, I coach, I take care of other people. I like go lift multiple times a week and try and run and do the thing. And then suddenly I'm sick and I like, like I get it, but it's a thing. Yeah, but, 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 you're, but you're, you're normal because most yeah, people who, are, who do this is that when we, we think in terms of recovery, we think in terms of doing nothing and we feel like that's stepping us backwards. Yeah. Yeah, I, this actually brings me back a little bit. I think we talked about it with Mark Bottenhorn he had great input, but, but the discussion there was to be at your best, you got to train harder. The only way to train harder is to recover well. So, you know, it's kind of the same thread, but so, so tell us now, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure it's more than just nutrition, right? And yeah. I, I'm out of my routine, but I, I typically have a, a pretty big routine that includes breath work. It includes, you know, cold showers It includes flexibility and all these different meditation. And all, I think all those things are critical to helping me personally mm -hmm. maximize my recovery. So talk to us about, I guess, the nutrition piece. And then as a personal trainer, if you've got any other insight into from a recovery standpoint, how does somebody that's listening right now that goes, yeah, I feel beat up, what can they pay attention to, to help them with that recovery cycle? I was just going to say, how do they know if they're working on recovery or if they're just being lazy? <laughs> yes. how, how did like, because that's, that's, that's the conflict. Yeah. It's like, am I being lazy or am I recovering? But that's a great point. A lot of times we think yeah. recovery strictly means time off. Correct. Right. Mm -hmm. That's the point. But so, so, so set us straight there because I, I've definitely learned for myself. It is very intentional. Sure. I mean, I'd like to touch a couple things first real fast. Like one, this is very individually dependent like anything else, right? Like Killian Jornet is a freak and he does not, like he tapers for a week before doing this stuff. And like, I just don't understand how a human can do that kind of stuff. So like some of these people are weird and you see it, and that's in every sport. The top end is kind of, kind of weird. And that's why and a lot of the times we follow these like concepts, we end up in trouble because I'm uh not him. I would I would bet though if we peel back the layers there that his recovery is insane also that what he's doing what he's sure. doing during that week and in between and the, probably the discipline that's there I would imagine we'd all be pretty shocked by the effort that goes into it. Oh yeah, from what Scott House said, it's very dedicated, but it, he he even says like he's a he's weird. He's a right. weird athlete. A lot of these people are just weird, right? Like they are. Um, and then the other thing, I know a lot of people get here, not because they're always worried about actually detraining, like that is a concern, but a lot of people in this community, from what I can tell, and I'm one of them, do a lot of like the running and the athletic ventures, partially as a support of mental support. Mm -hmm. And like, I mean, I have notable levels of depression, and anxiety. And like, so when I'm stationary for that long, it tends to lead to some mental problems and I need to like find that balance right so like I know there's other reasons that you go out and run than just to win the hundred down the line right like right. that's so like we're talking just from a physical standpoint here the mental stuff's real hard and that's actually why I struggle so much like I, I was sick I knew I needed to recover I also needed to go lift some weights to like not lose my mind right so like that's a that's a thing and that's a tough balance from the physical standpoint, it is food. It is enough food. So I know a lot of ultra runners kind of under eat partially because there's the training takes so long and you have other stuff and a lot of people have kids. And then to put down three to 4,000 calories a day is like another job. So like who has the time, right? But enough food's key. Enough protein, as we talked about before, you really need to get enough in to get there. We can optimize that a little bit if we really are trying to eke out every game. But if you just get a generally good amount, that tends to help. And then using carbohydrates to your advantage, again, is super helpful because carbohydrates are not just fuel. They also raise your insulin, which causes problems for some people. But when your insulin is high, your cortisol drops. So they do not react well together in the body. They're like, counterproductive. So once your insulin's high, your cortisol lowers. I used to work nights. I was a night shift worker at a ski resort. And when you get off of a night shift, all you want to do is eat a ton of carbs because mm -hmm. you've been stressed all night mm -hmm. and you want to go to bed and your body is telling you do the fastest thing we know possible to plummet your cortisol to the floor to try to get to bed. 
Mm-hmm. Prioritizing sleep is a big one. Yeah. And I would argue that most ultra runners probably do a little better, both performance and mental and recovery to remove an hour of training from their entire week and put it into sleep somehow. So like just figure out how to get better sleep. And it doesn't necessarily mean more. It means better. So you have different phases of sleep and the two real big ones that we know for now are deep sleep, which kind of repairs your body and then REM sleep, which kind of repairs your mind to be very simplistic about it. And you get more deep sleep early in the night and more REM sleep later in the night. And if you can increase those phases, that's one reason I wear this ring. It isn't, it's an aura ring. It tracks my sleep about as well as anything you can get that's not attached to your brain. So as a former night shift worker, I did really everything I could possibly do to try and up my sleep quality because the quantity wasn't going to change. So I needed to try and improve quality. And if a lot of ultra runners could improve their sleep quality, they're going to recover better because if you don't sleep, you do not produce human growth hormone. You do not produce the proper amount of testosterone and your muscles just cannot repair. You just can't do it. They're not physically capable. It's hard because I could talk for hours. I'm so fascinated about this stuff. And, and so, you know, and you talked about enough calories and then I'm sure if we go down the rabbit hole of, you know, what kind of foods cause inflammation, what kind of foods help yep. with inflammation and all those, right. And we don't have the time for it, <laughs> but I'm sure those are the type of things that when you're really dialed in with somebody you can get into something yeah, else that, exactly. that I keyed in on. And I'm a firm believer. I heard it somewhere. Like you said, it's, it's very simplistic way of thinking about it. But my understanding of myself is that I am either protecting myself or healing myself, but I can't do both, which is where for me, meditation and breath work comes in. And that's why I say it's very intentional. If I'm just taking time off and I'm stressed out, chances are I'm not getting the recovery that I would, that if I take some of those steps. So that's more just to throw out from my, you know, my, my personal um, experience, but I thought it really tied into what you were talking about from the mental well-being and, and how that ties into recovery overall. I like that a lot. I just wrote that down. I'm probably going to use that at some point in the future. That was really, that's really good. Yeah. So I started off at the very beginning, kind of just talking about the fact that uh, I get overwhelmed with nutrition and everything. And the Mm -hmm. idea of just being like, if I had to change everything today or tomorrow, like where would I begin? We've talked about a lot of stuff today and I think it's been very helpful. Mm -hmm. And I hope that people who are listening have been able to get, you know, a few things from themselves and just kind of the things that you've shared if you could, if there was one or two things that we could do to simplify some of the stuff, what are, what are a few things that those who are listening could put into place maybe today to begin to, to get a better handle on their nutrition, if you will? Sure. The first thing I would start off with about 90% of America, because it is the place where I start with almost everybody, no matter what their goals are for me, they probably need to up the protein a little bit. So Again, we could go grams, so you could try and get like one to two palms at every meal three to four times a day, right? Like that'd be good. And then eat more and a wider variety of like plants. Mm -hmm. We're talking like vegetables and fruit. And if you get more of that, it will help you down the line and it will help your performance. Unless you have some rare uh, autoimmune diseases or something, you're you're going to be helped by a larger, wider variety and amount of some vegetables and fruit. Those would be my big two. And then third, that's really specific to this audience, is use carbs appropriately to fuel and recover your workouts. So if you're going whole food, like a a cup or two of oatmeal a couple hours prior to a morning run, or a cup or two of rice at your lunch before you have an evening run. And then same, about the same amount post workout. And that's like directly post somewhere in that hour. And that will help keep your glycogen stores kind of stable and working so that you can really fuel an appropriate amount of workout and then get enough recovery and like keep your cortisol regulated. One follow-up question. What's the number one, two, or three things that if I wanted to cut out that you would say absolutely cut them out. What are the easy go-to hanging fruit there? That's actually hard, man. I really tend to try to focus on addition more than I do do cutting. And the reason is because if you add the right stuff, 
the other stuff tends to disappear. Like you just don't have as much room for it. The one thing that, and I would say probably remove at least to some degree is alcohol. Like, and I, I drink, like I'm not currently in a competitive phase. I probably have a drink a day. It doesn't really negatively affect me. I have no real like personal opinions on the matter unless you clearly have an issue with it. But we can be honest about what alcohol is. It is fairly high on the calorie front. It is a poison. So it messes your metabolism up. Like when you intake alcohol, your body puts a lot of other stuff on hold to try to get rid of it. So if you really care about your performance a lot, then you should probably cut or reduce your alcohol. That'd be the big one. Awesome. It's a good take. I, I'll be honest. I expected it to be sugar, but I'm good with alcohol too. I like cookies. <laughs> yeah. I would say sugar for a lot of people. Probably not this, this group, right? Like, I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, I'm not the nutritionist. I agree with trying to cut out sugar. Like I'm going through a phase of moving backwards in it, but I have gone through, like I said, six months ago where I cut all, all processed sugars out. Um, and I did feel tremendously better. Um, then when you fall off the cliff, you got to figure out how to, you know, get back on it again. But you do notice a difference if you can cut out processed sugars. Now I, I believe in having all the normal natural sugars in your fruits and vegetables and that kind of stuff. So I'm cool with that. I'm not saying don't have any kind of sugars at all. I'm saying that process types is, is for me what I've noticed, but yeah. And I will, I'll say like, there's definitely some backing to that. The main thing is they're so easy to overconsume, right? They, they do take a very high density of calories away from stuff that you could be eating mm -hmm. more of. Mm -hmm. If you're eating 4,000 calories a day, you probably don't want to get all of your carbohydrates from a sweet potato because you're eating like 12 sweet potatoes, right? So like right. some sugar is fairly reasonable. Person who trained me like did a lot with CrossFit athletes and they burn a ton of calories. Yep. And the foods that pretty much all of those people eat in between days of the games because of how much out work output they're doing is burgers and pizza. It's what they mm. eat and soda. Cause that's how you slam 5,000 calories in the span of like six hours. Why aren't we doing CrossFit? <laughs> uh, there's probably some, some CrossFitters right now that are up in arms cause they're, uh, they're all paleo. There's no, oh, there's dude. no soda on paleo. There is no soda on paleo. <laughs> and that is why Matt Frazier drinks soda and wins the games every year. <laughs> but that said, like we also have the in-season versus out-of-season mm. approach. Like too much sugar is inflammatory. Yep. It is. Too much of really anything is inflammatory. But sugar, it is very easy to overconsume. And there's a large difference in the amount of sugar you can benefit from in the like four weeks prior to running the Wasatch 100 versus your off-season or transition season. And I am actually like the biggest thing we didn't talk about would be like periodizing your nutrition a little bit, the way you eat when you're kind of in whatever you want to call an off-season versus the way you eat when you're ramping up to a big race should not look the same. It should look different. And that's kind of where that will swing in and out. And then the other thing I have for sugar is like, it will change your taste like buds mm -hmm. a little bit. Right. You get very used to it. So yeah, sugar is a, a close second. I think it can be used well. It is usually not. So yeah. <laughs> we'll have to have, an, have him back for another That's episode. That's what I was going to say. Is we may just have to have you on every now and then to field some questions or something. Because yeah. they're now... And because I don't want people to feel cheated, I'm pretty sure you posted about your the periodization that you just talked about in your Facebook group. Is that correct? Yep. Yep. Okay. So yeah. So so that's good because I, I know we're, we're pretty much out of time. So what I want to say first is, dude, thank you so much, you know, for being here, for taking the time, for everybody listening. I'm sure you could tell we just barely broke the surface in terms of your knowledge level. And I appreciate you not going too far into the weeds and the science because you know, from when we talked to you last time, I know it's there. So I think you did a great job of keeping it relevant for the audience. Thanks. And what I'll say is go check Will out. And so there's a couple resources. I think the big one, the Facebook group is called Trail and Ultra Running Nutrition. So you can go search it in Facebook. It's also on your Instagram. I think it's linked there and that's at will.c.franz, F-R-A-N-T-Z. There's also willfranz.com. And anywhere else they should be going to look for you. Those are the big ones. I'd okay. say go to the Facebook group over everything else. Yeah. Um, my Instagram, I 
I don't like social media, being very honest. I'm on it every day because like I try to be helpful and do the thing, but Instagram, I tend to avoid more. My my main website, if you want to work with me, that's a great place to be, but I'd go to the Facebook group. That's the place to go to start. Fantastic. For everybody Thanks. listening, thank you for spending your time with us. We'd love it if you gave us a review, give us a like, give us a follow, um, please share with your friends. We always love welcoming new people to the space and we'll... Man, uh, I'm sure we'll be talking to you. We'll be picking your brain. And if you're listening, go ask the duty question in the in the Facebook group because there's a lot of people there will that will benefit or probably have the same question. Will, thanks, thanks for guys. your time, man. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. All right. And cut. I got two questions for you. One, well, one is I guess this is more of a demand. Wow. There we We're go. Running late, can you tell? Give us oh, you're fine. No worries. I just got in here myself and trying to set up lighting and things and make me look like a human rather than a goblin. I need to talk to him. Yeah, so um, <laughs> I'm really introverted, so these kind of things are always weird for me. I'll drop it after like 10 minutes. You and I are like kindred spirits. Is it France? <laughs> France. Yeah, you, France. you might be All one right. one in a hundred to get that right. For sure. How is that possible? Well, he leaves me the introvert with the other introvert. We'll just sit here and look at each other. <laughs> Everybody it's says France, France like, okay. the, like the country, but it, no, it's France because it's German. So you should get a friend that is a complete extrovert or likes this kind of stuff all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you can tell, but I've got a little German in me too. <laughs> get him a Reynolds. Yeah. Everybody needs Good a Reynolds in their life. <laughs> hey, you want to do this? You want to talk to this person? Let's go. This will be fun. Can we just get something done? I can't wait to tell my wife that um, I need fat or else I'll die. Yeah, absolutely true. Like, you'll... <laughs> <laughs> so my problem is now I don't remember the last thing that you said. It was fascinating. Get stuff done. Does that happen when we talk randomly to people? I think so. All right. You ready to go?